Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Now, today... We are going to be talking about food, so you might enjoy this with a bit of uh, a scone or a toast or a flapjack. We're mad for flapjacks in my house at the moment, you know, getting all this uh, back to school action going on and batch cooking and I'll see how long that lasts. Um, And even though these flapjacks that we love are healthy ones by Susan Jane White, they are still delicious. Some things actually manage to be healthy and delicious and that's those flapjacks that Susan Jane makes. Now, we are talking about food because the taste of Dublin is back. That's that celebration of all things foodie uh, back in the Ivy Gardens. And it is like a bit of a harbinger of joy. The first of many events that are going to start coming back as the great reopening continues. Micheál Martin certainly seems very chipper about it all, even if we have to see what happens with schools reopening. Ours went back to school this week and we have to think about the Delta variant and ventilation in classrooms and all the things we talked about on the podcast last week. But people are, I suppose, cautiously optimistic and we have to remain like that. It possibly is the beginning of the end, but the way the twists and turns in the past 18 months have been, you know, incredible. So we we can't really be completely... um, We can't have complete peace of mind, I suppose. Now, we're going to get to the taste of Dublin later on, but I wanted to bring you a couple of stories about women this week. The Paralympics continues, as do the medals which have been coming in and brilliant coverage by Joanne O'Reardon, who's an Irish Times sports writer. Keep an eye out for her on RTE. She's playing a blinder. And staying with sport, some great news that the Ireland women's and men's international teams are to receive equal pay for the first time after an historic agreement. The men's squad have agreed to reduce their international fees with the FAI matching their contribution to ensure that the senior women's team match fee is increased and all male and female players now receive the same pay from the September international window onwards. So it was some great news. Although I did see someone on Twitter saying that an RTE presenter had then said to the women, now you'll have to deliver now, which uh, I don't really think is appropriate because no one says that to the men. But anyway, apart from that, uh, it's great news um, that the equal pay for the women in football and the women's team are due to open their World Cup qualifying campaign on September 17th with an away to Georgia, while the men's team opened their three-game international window away to Portugal on Wednesday and they'll all be earning the same money for the first time. So a bit of good news. Uh, Now, I mentioned in the last episode that we're preparing to do an episode on Afghanistan and how women there are being treated by the Taliban. And the latest on that is that the Taliban have decided Afghan women will be allowed to study at universities, which is so great of them, but they cannot be in the same room as men and will not be taught by male teachers. The Taliban's acting higher education minister announced 
as the world waited the new rules under the extremist regime that is expected to curb women's rights. So all of that continues to be very depressing and we can't let this story um, slide or we can't lose sight of it. So we will be bringing you some voices from Kabul, hopefully in a few weeks. So do stay tuned for that. But today it's all about the taste of Dublin, which is a celebration of eating, drinking and entertainment all in one place, which just sounds very old fashioned because we haven't done it for so long. Taste of Dublin is back. Savour the moment is the theme for this year's event. It's returning to the stunning Ivy Gardens from the 1st to the 5th of September 2021. If you want to find out more about it, go to dublin.tastefestivals.com. And this is midway through the festival. That's where we are. And we wanted to talk to some people who are involved. So we've gathered Ellie Kaziombi. Michelle Darmody and Aoife Noonan. Ellie is from Malawi. She arrived in Ireland 10 years ago. She trained at the Ballymaloo Cookery School and she also has her own food business, Ellie's Kitchen, selling hot sauces and pasta sauces. And she recently announced on Twitter that she's been accepted onto the 2021 Food Academy programme. Michelle Darmody is a weekly food writer with the Irish Examiner and the author of the Cake Cafe Bake book. And together with Ellie Kisiombi, she started Our Table to raise awareness of the plight of people in direct provision through food. And finally, Aoife Noonan is a multi-award winning pastry chef from Dublin and food writer for the Irish Times. She started her own business in 2021, offering online masterclasses in all things sweet. And she's also released limited edition monthly patisserie lines, drawing on her experience working in fine dining kitchens. Now, they are all involved in one way or another with Taste of Dublin. So I began by asking Ellie Kisiombi how excited she is to be involved in one of the first events to be open to the public since the pandemic took it all away. Yes, I'm super excited. So <laughs> We're all about- excited. Real life things. Bring it on. Yes. <laughs> so our table came about uh, between me and Michelle. So we co-founded our table uh, the late 2014, if I'm not wrong. That's when me and Michelle, we met. At that time, I was volunteering with Irish Refugee Council. And at that time, my then boss, you know, told me that because I was volunteering there as a, a volunteer um, campaign director for indirect provision. So I have done a lot of work with Irish Refugee Council. And at the very same time, uh, you know, like within my uh, uh, volunteership, it's when I met Michelle through my boss, uh, who, my boss then, Sue Conlan. So then uh, she said to me, like, oh, we've been approached by this lady. She seemed really nice. <laughs> uh, she's a business lady. And we just felt like you are the right person for you to take that project with her. And I was like, OK, let me meet her. And then two days later, Michelle come over. She brought a chocolate cake and uh, she was wearing a, a, a kind of like a, an African wrap because <laughs> I don't see that with many white women. <laughs> wearing a headband. And then we sat, we sat down, we started talking and we just talked as if we were met before. And then we talked about food and she talked to me what she wanted to do. And yeah, that, that was our first. We shared the cake and then we left each other. And then after after that, she followed up and I was like, oh, this lady, she's serious. And even I myself, <laughs> I was super excited because it wasn't just only that I've met somebody who is a foodie that wanted to actually, at that time, there was a lot, a lot to that because at that time, 
this system was kind of like a little broken system. The asylum system was kind of like a little broken system. And it needed a soft campaign. It needed a campaign that we could relate to the public and people could understand what exactly, you know, like direct provision is and why are we going out in the streets and campaigning that this system is not right. You know, we need a better system for people that are coming here to seek sanctuary. So I think with food, it actually relates, relates really well because, you know, like food connects people, food makes people to talk, I know there is love in food. There is so much that food can come 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 about with. So anyway, that's where that's where our table came about. So we started like uh, now uh, Michelle she could drive us because you know at that time she was still also running her businesses and you know like she knew people in business so she could find us a space and I I could coordinate women and men from direct provision and we go into these community kitchens and make food and invite people and then people were like oh you know the food is great why can't you do something and all of that and then you know we sit down and Michelle was like oh why can't we do a pop-up and I was like yeah that's really good so we did our first pop-up cafe in the project art center that was about two days and you know like it was a massive like a massive uh uh it, it was a success a massive success and we had a lot of people between those two days we fed over 700 people like combining the same day we had lots of food we had lot of lots of people we have doctors academics you know like celebrities people just kind of like come and wants to understand what it, what 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 direct provision is and also people related to the food culture and people wanted to see other cultures and they listened to our stories is really better and that was our start and then from there we were like everywhere and then we we, we kind of like got a high uh, media exposure and from then it's when in 2016 we had done a lot of uh, events because uh, we can't go one by one because our table has actually sucks like like we've been very very successful in terms of like reaching out to the community with our message so we've done loads of stuff I'm going to bring Michelle in here because it's interesting. It's It seems from your story about how, you know, when two people meet that are just meant to meet, it feels like. And Michelle, I think it's really hilarious. You, you know, you turning up to meet Ellie with your African wrap on your head and Ellie finding that I interesting. I don't, but, you know, I don't remember having a wrap on my head. Um, well, she, but I do, she, rem- I do certainly remember made the chocolate an impression. cake. <laughs> I was catering a lot, so you do wear kind of hair bands to keep your hair back. Um, and I, I, I adore African patterns, so it probably was. No, don't worry, Michelle. I wasn't accusing you of cultural appropriation <laughs> or anything. I was just saying it's it's interesting for you know, it, it's a lovely thing that Ellie obviously noticed because it meant a lot or something. But where were you coming from? Because um, Ellie's talking about direct provision, a system that you know, uh, for a long time people weren't really aware, and I think because of the work you two have done we're much more aware of direct provision and, and other people have done work on it as well. And, and I think there's a real movement now to, to handle this whole system better. But back in 2014, where were you coming from on it? Uh, well, I had heard about the system and it just, I was outraged, I suppose, um, at hearing at how little support people were given um, financially and people were given so little money to, to kind of survive week to week. But also it just really resonated with me, the idea of not being allowed to cook. People are very able, um, they just they weren't allowed to cook. And just the idea, I grew up in a family where food was just central to the kitchen. We all sat around the table every day for dinner, for breakfast. Um, we, my mom would have baked bread. Like I just grew up in a family that was surrounded by food and just the idea that that was stolen from other families just really, really resonated with me and really upset me and kind of felt, you know, this is in our name. This is in, in the name of every Irish person. We pay taxes and unfortunately that's what's supporting the system. And I was just outraged, I suppose. So having run a food business and, you know, having, like Ellie said, the kind of connections within that that sphere, 
I just really focused in on the fact that people weren't allowed to cook and approached Sue, who was then um, running the Refugee Council, and just said to her, listen, if there's anything I can do to help, I'd love to put my energy or my um, knowledge into that. And then myself and Ellie met and we started looking and my one of my main aims was definitely to draw attention, to provide a cooking space, 100%, to provide a cooking space for people that we can share. I mean, people don't even speak the same language. You can all communicate over food. You know, we're all chopping away. We're all sharing things. We're all kind of indicating to each other what tastes good and, you know, what salt needs to be added. So there was a real kind of sense of community within the in the cooking space. But also just then um, as we went on was more conversations and a lot of tears. It was very emotive for some people who hadn't been able to cook for so long. Um, you know, I literally went out with a friend, Fiona Corbett, myself went out and just bought big bags of ingredients, uh, a lot of um, African ingredients and different things. And we just laid them on the table and everyone cooked and shared and ate and um, talked after the meal. It was just a really, really beautiful space. And then as we talked more, we realized we wanted to do something more public facing. And then that was the kind of idea. It was like, we really need to draw attention to this. And food, as Ellie said, is a soft story in a way. You know, we knew we could get into feature pages of the weekend magazines with a food story about direct provision much more than we could with a hard sell of, you know, end direct provision. It's a different type of story in, in the media. Um, so we then started approaching journalists and talking to different people and creating, like Ellie said, the pop-ups and doing more forward-facing um, things and drawing attention to that. And we got unbelievable support. And I think there was an awful lot of people in society who did know about direct vision and didn't know how to help or didn't know how to interact with people, didn't know what they could do felt a little bit helpless so us providing a space where you could come you could share a meal you could eat and um, it was the first pop-up we did was very much donation based so people just left what they wanted um, and they just came and offered support so there was a huge amount of people from the wider Irish community just going hi you know I want to ha- share a meal with you I'm here if you need something or here's some money towards um, you know support and what we used that money for then was to buy like leap cards and basically phone cards for people people in direct vision aren't allowed work or they weren't allowed work at, at that time it's changed slightly since not not fully but slightly um, so we would use that ma- mainly phone it's amazing how much phone credit is used when you're ringing home to different people uh, leap cards and some vouchers then for people to, to buy um, you know things like sanitary products um, cosme- you know cosmetic products and things like that so we'd give little all for one vouchers that people were able to use so that's it was just a very much grassroots um, helping very much community led and loads of different people from Direct Vision came and I, you know was still good friends with a lot of people um, that I, I met through our table as is Ellie and there's a lot of you know lingering relationships from it that um, I really value actually yeah like I say a fantastic synergy between the two of you Ellie just coming back to you I mean you came to Ireland 10 years ago you were in direct provision yourself how do you see now the conversation around direct provision um, has changed or even you know the prospects and, and people being much more aware of it as an issue yeah, you know, uh, and also I just want to <laughs> interrupt me, share a little bit that when we were studying our table, like we were getting 19 euro 10 a week. So like everything, how we started, like all this, what he's talking like when people were supporting us with financial donations and all of that, it kind of like really helped people a lot because that was like one of the lowest um, um uh, support that people were getting in direct provision. So anyway, in t- in terms of like how the uh how the uh the conversation has changed demographically around uh, uh around direct uh provision, 
You know, like, I mean, like change doesn't happen oftenly, you know, like uh, there is a little movement and we have to appreciate that because like considering where I came from here and how the system was to see where we are right now and what I've actually seen, I have to say that, you know, like uh, there is a lot of change and people have actually listened. And also of recently, I think because of like of coming of a lot of movements like Black Lives Matter and, you know, like, uh, you know, diversity and all of that, there is is also kind of like a lost of you know like direct provision message it's kind of like you know like um people are now forgetting you know like that we had this message and my fear is like if we are not careful we can actually lost ourselves and even go 20 years back and 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 that's why i'm still here i got my papers and people like used to come to me and like oh why are you are you going are, are you always still doing this why are you why do you want to go on i'm like okay direct provision is still there uh, you know like there is little change the government is changing but it's slowly and if we can decide like to keep quiet and not do something about it that means i've not done my work because my work was to see this campaign going so yeah there is uh slightly changes but i think there is also a lot of work that needs to be done so that we cannot get lost in the way yeah that's very well put and i think um yeah it's great to have that focus on diversity and the focus on black lives matter and everything but we need to keep all of the things um in focus and make sure we don't lose sight of really important issues like um how we treat people who come here for asylum as as you did um but tell us about taste of dublin what are you guys going to be doing that and then i'm going to bring Eva noonan in too who's also going to be doing stuff there but how excited are you about taste of dublin ellie yes it's my first one <laughs> it's my first one and after the whole you know dragging you know how can i how can i explain them the past two years that we've actually been you know and for us to be here not being a statistics and going to test of dublin i'm bringing 10 i'm bringing six vendors and 10 people all of them from a refugee and a migrant background and out of that we are actually supporting to exhibit one business which is a woman that she's been in direct provision she's a she's a very good cake maker and you know like we managed to get her a job through our table connecting her to one of the bakery uh the the, the, the bakeries and she's working in that and also it is like my duty to actually make sure that what i've actually been experienced the the goodwill from the people that have actually showed me people like michelle people like darina and now we've actually just got us a donor we can't name him because we have not finalized everything but all of these people to actually see all of this good work and and feeling like there is a need to support the journey of our table, uh, you know, like where me and Michelle, we started. I want to actually set up this woman into her small business, wherever she can start from, but also that she has to get somewhere. So there is loads of stuff going and I'm really, really super excited. And I can't, I can't wait to go and see how Taste of Dublin looks like. <laughs> <laughs> no, And uh, Michelle, just quickly for you, what are you hoping will come out of our, the, our table at Taste of Dublin? And are you excited as well? Uh, I'm excited that Ellie runs our table much more so than I do um, these days. So she's much more in tune uh, with what's happening from that point of view. Um, I'll be involved in Taste of Dublin talking um, as well some of the other evenings and talking about Irish food producers and food. Um, Ellie will be organising all the, the air table stuff. So I've just recently had a baby, so I'm uh, taking yes. a backseat. Back um, but I'll be coming on to Taste of Dublin, which I'm really excited about as well, um, to give a few talks. Well, I just love wandering around and tasting all the food. That's my favourite thing about Taste of Dublin. It's Speaking of which, Aoife Noonan, um, Irish Times food writer, you are going to have a patisserie workshop at Taste of Dublin. So 
I mean, I think excited, I keep saying it, but it's just have real life experiences and food is something that you want to share with people and you can't do it on Zoom. I mean, people have tried, but it just doesn't come across as well, I suppose. (laughs) And so what are you going to be doing at Taste of Dublin? Um, Well, so I'm doing a demo at Taste of Dublin on the Sunday and this will be my, I think, fourth year at Taste. Now, last year it was cancelled due to the pandemic, but it's back this year. And I think it's just a really great way for people to just come together and celebrate everything, you know, that we are about and Irish food. Um, There's so many great chefs, uh, newer kind of up and coming chefs that are, you know, doing demonstrations. So it's great for kind of younger chefs and uh, I suppose like maybe chefs that haven't, you know, had the limelight or anything before to, you know, to show people what they can do. Um, So I'm doing a demo and it's, it's, it's all things pastry. I think I'm just, my name is (laughs) even in pastry at this point so um I'm going back to my roots I suppose with um classical French uh patisserie and um I'm going to be making um it's a chocolate puff pastry kind of box it's like a 3d like cube I haven't figured out all of the logistics yet but I basically it's going to be filled with chocolate cherry and um, this lovely Middle Eastern spice called Maleb, which is made from ground down uh, Mediterranean cherry stones. And it's a really bitter, uh, bitter almond kind of spice. And it just really goes well with the cherry. So I suppose it's a Black Forest uh, kind of take on a chocolate dessert. And I suppose it's something that maybe people haven't seen. And that's what I love. I love that whole you know, interaction with demonstrations and teaching. And you definitely don't get that on Zoom and you don't get that really, I suppose, working in restaurants is, you know, behind the scenes, back of house as a chef, you don't get to meet who you're who you're cooking for, you know. So I suppose it's great to kind of break down those walls and um, and kind of see people face to face and just chat about food. You've had a very interesting couple of years because you did have a head uh, pastry chef position and you left that to explore other things. I mean, it's kind of um, sometimes when you're in a really good, uh, safe job, you know, to go out there and do other things. That's scary. But how have you found it? It's terrifying. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> like, um, you know, I was lucky. I, I had some really, really great jobs and I learned so much um, working in various restaurants. Um, and I think I got to the point where maybe I wanted to push myself a little bit more, but I didn't know if I could do that within the restaurant industry here maybe I don't know I I did take a bit of time to explore kind of other avenues and um you know work in kind of different areas of food um you know recipe development or um you know different kind of roles and I I got to a kind of point where um you know I was like this isn't for me anymore I had a bit of a breakdown (laughs) like I just was very lost and I just thought you know what my life is food but I I want to learn more um, so I decided to go back to college and I'm in the middle of doing a master's degree actually at the moment um, in nutrition, which is obviously nothing to do with patisserie or sugar or pastry. Um, but it's something I've been interested in for a number of years. Um, and it's something I kind of wanted to expand, I suppose, my knowledge in and learn about. Um, so I'm doing that. But I suppose like, yeah, going from working in well, I wouldn't say they were comfortable jobs. I mean, there was stress, there was pressure. Yeah, I mean, no no restaurant mm. job is comfortable or safe or anything like that. And they're bloody tough 
and hard jobs, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, a, you know, that kind of stressful environment. And uh, I think restaurant kitchens, they do get a bit of a bad rep. Um, but I mean, obviously, they're really enjoyable. And, you know, there's nothing, nothing comes close to a service, you know, and that adrenaline rush you get with your team. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, leaving kitchens, I mean, I wouldn't say I've left kitchens permanently, but I, I suppose I've gone out and started a business on my own and that in itself was terrifying you know um and uh yeah it's I mean it's just I think I just need to keep uh, like me personally I just always want not want more but I want to push myself and and kind of do better and you know better myself and and learn more so that's where I'm at at the moment yeah I think when people think about pastry I mean it is such an incredibly complex almost scientific type of of thing that you do and quite difficult. But I think to all of you, because I know you don't run Cake Cafe anymore, Michelle, but obviously you were a, a cake person for a long time. Can you all tell us what you think is a good place to start if people feel a bit afraid of the whole pastry thing but want to make really nice stuff? Where can they start that would uh, be a good place that w- won't feel too much of a mountain to climb? I think some of the Irish, traditional Irish recipes um, are great, like scones, brown bread, things like that. Um tarts you know there um what Aoife's talking about that sounds amazing and you do not take that over <laughs> zoom and then the technical know-how that Aoife has it will like that is an absolute showcase to make a cube of of puff pastry and chocolate just it sounds delicious um but for people at home I'd imagine some of the simpler recipes um, I mean I just love a sponge cake the idea that three ingredients just eggs flour and you know sugar, you can just make this wonderful cake a bit of cream and jam you know so I think sometimes the simple ones are kind of the good step in. And then once you get some recipes down, get your ratios right, get your temperatures right, you know, get that kind of background knowledge right, then you can kind of experiment. You know, if you know how to make a sponge, you can make it with elderflower and gooseberry cream one day, you can make it with raspberry cream the next day, you could put it, you know, with some mango and coconut if you want something else. So, you know, once you get the basic recipes down, then you can kind of start experimenting with your flavours and your different tastes and stuff. And I write an article every week in the Irish Examiner and the feedback I get from people is brilliant. Like they just you know, especially young people actually get some really, you know, young people who are tasting and trying different things and asking, can they do this and can they do that? And um, I love just the idea of teaching and helping and showing um, young people to get into the kitchen and baking is sometimes um, an avenue in um, to cooking as well within kitchens. So it's, it's just a really nice stepping stone for people. Oh God, I'm getting hungry listening to you. Ellie, what about you? Um, what about favourite recipes or um uh, from you're from Malawi. Do you bring a bit of that in as well to the Irish thing? Because you studied in Ballymaloo. You mentioned Darina there earlier, Darina Allen, who's been a great support to our table. So any tips for people who might want to experiment a bit? Yeah, one pot meals are fantastic. And, you know, like I love cooking and I'm a mass cooker. Ask Michelle. I hate to cook for two people. I, I hate to cook for five people. Ellie cannot <laughs> cook for two people. I'm just, she's like, I know it's, the, she, Ellie, like we kind of say, oh, let's have lunch. And there's a hundred, literally, I'm not kidding you, enough food for nearly a hundred people. Like I know, I know you're saying that's how you grow up and that's your background. And, and in Africa, it's an idea of cooking a big pot of food and everyone comes to your house and shares and tastes. But um, it's, it's so funny. I'm like, Ellie, there's only like four of us here for lunch. Um, and it's, it's a, beautiful a wonderful trait so (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so I love to do that and I love to make the whole table look colorful because like that's how our cooking is so you have like pumpkin cakes you know pumpkin donuts you have mashed pumpkins you have nice barbecue charcoal chicken and you have some nice paellas and corn free lots of food (laughs) Ali can I come to your house 
rice, <laughs> please. <laughs> Lots of food. You know, like uh, the good thing about like Malawian cooking or Southern African cooking, you can use the whole table with like maybe 12 different meals with one ingredient. So you have pumpkin and you can make pumpkin out of like 10, 20 meals from that. So that's a good thing about that. And I love, love doing that. And one also thing that I loved being in Balimalu was kind of like, it gave me the sense of setup of back home, being on a farm, waking up every morning, going to the garden, pick up fresh, uh, fresh ingredients, vegetables, tomatoes, and whatever it is, and bring them in the kitchen. And you know, like everything has got a touch of the, of the, of the love from the, that mama's essence, you know what I mean? So <laughs> that's another thing that I've really loved. And that's where my cooking, it's almost based. So it's almost based from organic, fresh ingredients and, you know, like get them into the kitchen. And I'm actually learning quite a lot now, you know, like, uh, because my cooking was just like salt, uh, spice and this, <laughs> but now I'm learning a lot of like trying to measure ingredients and all of that and bringing the flavors and stuff like that. So, you know, like I, that's type of like my, my cooking. I'm also going to request a place at your table. So whenever, uh, you know, whenever you're doing that cooking for the masses again, throw <laughs> my name in the, in the pot, which sounds like it's a very big pot. <laughs> yeah. Aoife, just finally to you, I mean, Taste of Dublin will be running a bit differently. There's going to be pods of four or six people. Very very socially distanced, making sure people keep safe. There's a lot of different restrictions. But at, at the same time, and it is a really incredible um, event for showcasing the best of Irish food and bringing all these brilliant providers together. So are you looking forward to it from that point of view? And what can people expect? Absolutely. I mean, I think they've taken uh, lots of steps this year to make sure that it is safe um, so it will be a bit different, but I don't think that's going to take away from the enjoyment of it at all. And I think there's a lot of new kind of new things as Michelle was saying like you know there's going to be lots of different talks and lots of conversations around different aspects of Irish food so it's not you know that you know I think a few years ago it was very much uh focused on um you know restaurant stalls and you know they were you know obviously showcasing their food but I think it's gone further than that now and we've gone a step beyond and it's it's more about other kind of aspects of the food industry and that's it's so exciting to really just showcase all of that and bring it to kind of one place okay well i think you've you've all described it really well and made me very hungry i think taste of dublin's fantastic and it's great like you said that like michelle you're going to be doing those food talks you're now into food education that's where you've moved just finally then in terms of food education and how we're talking about food now do you think it's an exciting time in terms of getting back to what's really important in the food industry I think it's a really exciting time and I think it's a time that we can make change. Ireland is a small enough country that we can kind of manoeuvre our way around and make change. And I think there's a huge interest in where food comes from because of the pandemic, also because of Brexit and how um, borders might change and how transport of food might change. I think people are looking a little more locally. I've been working with green schools and we've developed a food flag for um, schools. So it's a two year food education program that really embeds where food comes from in the first year. So the children get out in the garden, they grow, they test the soil, they measure the plot. So it's bringing in all the sciences and food and the feedback from the kids has been amazing. And then the second year they come in and they start looking at food globally. So looking at packaging and food air miles and they start kind of assessing all the food that comes in and out of their school and start looking at different ways of maybe making their lunches. So it's a really, really 
really interesting time. And I think the parents are really behind it, particularly at the moment now, just seeing how the world is changing. I think how we eat and how we've um, how our food system is developed over the next few years is going to be integral to, to things like climate change, sustainability, even activism for young people. You know that, that there is a, a huge interest, um, particularly in kind of early late primary, early secondary school, I find the children of that age are hugely interested in how their food affects the environment and they're looking at ways that they want They want a better future, they want a different future um, and they're asking questions and I, I think food education is a way of providing those questions and teaching children the very basics of how to cook, you know, so we're starting at the basics about chopping an onion, sauteing an onion, we've loads of chefs on board that come into schools and they will do the, we, we provide a kit, so we provide a cooking kit in the school and then they just start working the basic recipes like a pasta sauce that you know you can use and you can use it to top a pizza you can use it to toss your pasta in and it's just building up the confidence about you know adding a little bit of salt how to season so the skills around being comfortable in a kitchen how to use a grater how to use a peeler you know when a child knows all of those things and it's get loses that kind of scaredness um of the I'm sure that's not a proper word but it loses um loses that kind of nervousness around using those implements um they relax so much more and begin to enjoy it and then parents can relax because the children and um, kind of start knowing what they're doing and I think just getting children in the kitchen, getting them knowing where their food comes from. And I just think just getting that pleasure and enjoyment and not telling children in a didactic way what's good and bad. And um, I'm not a big fan of telling them what's calories and what's, you know, anything. I'm, I'm much more about just getting out there, getting into the garden, getting into the presses, you know, t- tasting the food, cooking with the food and just really learning to, to enjoy food. And I think once you enjoy it, everything else comes much, much easier, you know, the, the healthiness and the diet and the enjoyment um, can all kind of feed in together. And I just want to finally bring you in, Aoife, because you've said you've gone into nutrition. So I imagine what uh, Michelle is talking about there in terms of food education is resonating with you. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it really is the actually the kind of um, the nutrition for younger people is what I'm more interested in. And I suppose that's why I went into it. I think, you know, health and children, it, you know, it's something that we definitely need to look at. And I, as a chef, you know, giving them those skills from such an early age is definitely going to benefit them. Like, you know, it's just, it's such an important thing that we need to be looking at. Um, and I suppose the nutrition part, yeah, it's it's really interesting for me, but I think, nutrition for children and, you know, really just kind of teaching them about food, where it comes from, you know, not loading them up with sugar every day, but like, you know, just teaching them about good food, wholesome food, where it comes from, as Michelle said, exactly the same, you know, it's so important to just have, you know, those conversations and really just give them the kind of skills that will help shape their cooking going forward and, you know, making them comfortable with food and, 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 you know, having an enjoyable experience with it will definitely kind of help them go forward you know and we're speaking of loading people up with sugar Aoife uh, which you do every week with your Irish Times um, piece (laughs) what has been the most popular um, thing that you've written about in the Irish Times so far that you've kind of just everyone's loved and wanted to make it's probably uh, one of the first recipes I wrote last year which was um, a savoury scone it was an apple cheddar and thyme scone and it was around this time I think it was yeah September uh, last year and I in my garden I had this apple tree and I just thought what am I going to do with all of these you know you get sick of making the apple tarts every year giving them out to the neighbours um, so I just thought oh I, lo- I actually love a scone um, and I love a savoury treat as well not it doesn't always have to be sweet um, but I think that one 
uh, was was quite popular. Yeah. Okay, you went a bit viral with that scone, as I remember. I think <laughs> viral. I wouldn't say that routine, <laughs> but um, it's an interesting combination of flavors, and it's just a different kind of a different uh, yeah different flavor for a scone. You know. Okay. Well, if anyone goes to irishtimes.com and searches up that apple savory scone by Aoife Noonan, they'll be able to find it and recreate it. Thank you so much, all of you, for talking about it. And um, as I said, I'm very hungry. I'll go and find something, scrabble around in my kitchen and uh, good luck to you all at the Taste of Dublin and thanks for coming on the Women's Podcast. Thanks, Rosie. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. That was Ellie Kasyumbi, Michelle Darmody and Aoife Noonan there and thanks very much to them and you can find out all about the Taste of Dublin. Go and Google it, um, tastefestivals.com. That's all we have time for. The podcast is produced by me, Rosie Ingle, by Suzanne Brennan and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Contact us on social on instagram facebook or twitter using at it women's podcast we're on email to the women's podcast at irishtimes.com and we love hearing from you so do get in touch until the next time mind yourselves and thanks very much for listening planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.